0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 4, Episode 2. We've got two phenomenal guests joining us on the show today. Uh, we will get to them in just a moment. I want to thank Microsoft for being the sponsor of Season 4 of This Week in Voice. Microsoft is giving a major keynote at Project Voice, um, the number one event for voice tech and AI taking place January 13th to 17th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The website for that is projectvoice.ai. Microsoft is doing a lot of interesting work uh, across their company. encourage you to check it out. Head over to www.microsoft.com, and we will link to Microsoft's website, as we have done last couple of weeks of the show, um, episode one, and then the special episode over the summer, to their site, so you can check it out there. We are thrilled to be joined by two excellent guests, and I'm going to start with Audrey Arbini. Audrey, say hello.
1: Well, hi, and thanks, Bradley, for having me on. This
0: is great, Audrey. Thank you for <laughs> setting this time aside. So, you are CEO of Audio Brain. Um, you do a lot of really interesting work. Take a moment, tell us who you are, what what Audio Brain does, and what you do.
1: Sure, um, Audio Brain is a specialty boutique firm agency that does sonic branding. Um, I've been doing sonic branding, I'm going to say my whole life, but formally I've been doing it for 25 years. And sonic branding is the uh, strategic uh, and creative development of a consistent audio experience and leveraging it across the various touch points for a brand. So it's nothing is arbitrary. Every sound that the consumer hears is another point to enforce the brand messaging, the brand experience, and make uh, the whole thing better as a whole. So what we do is we will have a very formidable process, but we look at every single touch point the same way you do with a visual identity in anything in branding, every place that the brand is heard. So it's music, sound, voice, vibration. We create a strategy, we create a system, and then we leverage it out. So we help brands literally and figuratively find their voice and we do testing and guidelines and we've launched many top brands in the world Uh, and like I said we've been doing this for an extremely long time so it's pretty fascinating for us to see this extraordinary surge in interest in sonic branding because it's not new it's just newly needed based on emerging technologies
0: you have uh, reached legendary status with, uh, <laughs> with a lot of this stuff going on. Uh, people revere you and the work that you do. Uh, and Thank And for, for good reason. You're, you're a true OG of, uh, of this voice stuff um, and, and, and everything with audio. Thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having us.
0: My second guest is Braden Rehm of VoiceFlow. Braden, say hello. Hey, Bradley. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Brayden. So you've got a very interesting company doing a lot of interesting work in the voice space. Um, Tell us who you are, tell us what VoiceFlow is, and tell us us what you do. For sure. Um, So I'm Brayden, the CEO
2: and one of the co-founders of VoiceFlow. Uh, We make it easy to design, prototype, and uh, build voice uh, interfaces, uh, primarily voice apps for Alexa and Google Assistant. Uh, So we're used by over 15,000 people now, some top brands, including the New York Times, BBC, Mattel, American Cancer Society, and a bunch of others. Uh, And to date, we power roughly between 8 and 12 million utterances per month. And that's, you know, I think well over 5,000 voice apps at this point. So, uh, you know, five or six percent of of all the voice apps hosted on Alexa are hosted on VoiceFlow.
0: Hmm. All right. So that's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Uh, so uh yeah y'all are hot y'all are hot um everything you're doing is um is resonating you know you you've done a great job cultivating community around the software uh that you've put together and um shoot it's working congratulations for that and thank you for being on the show yeah of course no super excited to be here with that we'll get to the news and story number one this week, uh, an important one, from the Daily Mail, and I want to read, I've got, I've got the headline that's written on the news page, but I want to read the actual thing that the Daily Mail wrote. Donald Trump has been briefed on high-tech scheme to ha- harvest Apple Watch, Alexa, and Google Home data to set up early warning system to spot signs of mental health problems in mass shooters before they strike. So, whew, that, <laughs> that is a lot. Um, you know, that's uh, and it's, I just find it interesting. That this is a foreign publication writing about this um, when I really haven't seen a lot of uh, domestic media talk about it um, or talk about it to this extent. Um, this touches on a lot of different things. Um, Audrey, I'm going to start with you. With this story and this news, what stands out to you the most about this? You've been around audio, voice, all of this stuff, you know, the concept of using sound in different ways a long time. How does a story like this strike you? What, what's, what do you take away?
1: I find it. it's another one of those areas that <clears throat> I have... Um, mixed feelings about. As you know, like the mission statement for Audio Brain is to use music, sound, and voice to promote and advocate for well-being. So anything that's in the research realm, anything that can help detect an illness, you know, I was just spoke up at uh, the Voice of Healthcare Summit. This is a passion point for me. There's also HIPAA rights. There's also, there's so much that that this opens up that it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in theory. Can it be effective? Does it have a good foundation behind it? Yes, but it's going to be a slippery slope to navigate.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And Braden, I want to ask you the same question. Um, What, what did you take away from this? What stood out to you the most? There's a lot going on in this article, a lot of stuff that this thing throws out, a lot of moving parts. What what stands out the most to you?
2: Yeah, I, I thought, um, I mean, from, from first glance, it was one of those... Um, I, there's a lot of sort of scare tactics in, in, in voice right now in terms of, you know, it's listening to you constantly and, and uh, all these sorts of things. Um, I thought it was a little outrageous and I, I, I would never see the platforms like Alexa and Google and, and Siri and others um, actually buy into something like this. Um, I think for the most part, it, you know, it, it's, as Audrey said, it's, um, it's a slippery slope, you know, okay. So you start to let the platforms monitor for this, but where does that stop? Uh, and I think the platforms are very aware of this and, you know, that's not, um, something that would ever realistically happen, I think it was more so uh, you know some folks who may not have had great understanding of what these technologies are, they might not actually work with the platforms, pitched an idea to the president um and you know, I, I think that's sort of you know where the buck stops
1: and I just want to add one thing to that too, is that I do think that there is so much validity in getting around. The issues of of mental illness and mental health and violence and gathering data. And there's many ways that we could be so much more proactive when we find out people that do these things, they have histories. Someone had this information in many of these instances. So I'm very much for advocating for something that, that helps us along that path. I'm just like, Braden said, we're both in agreement here. It's like, it's, it's going to be tricky how we get there, but the thought of it and gathering the um, data is, is important, is important. It's just, how does, how does that go about, you know?
0: There's a, yeah, no, I completely agree with both of you all. I think it's interesting uh, to sort of separate out the potential benefits of what you know the the essence of what this article is talking about? You take you you abstract out the politics out of it, and you're talking about trying to reduce um, mass shootings, and you're you're talking about doing that by using um, data collected by smart speakers as a data point um, to predict future behavior. A- Part of it is it sort of strikes me as, as very minority report-esque, you know, if you if you've seen that film, um, you know, predicting who's going to do crimes and, and stuff. It's it's um, it's a little it, it is a little far fetched. It's a little out there. I mean, it, it. I'm sure we'll get to that point eventually, whether it's tomorrow or not, we'll find out. But the problem with the article is it mentions Trump and Trump is such a polarizing figure you know, in the, in the United States and I, I, other places as well, obviously, you know, it's um, one of the things that voice has going for it is that it has largely to this point sidestepped political entanglement. Um, you haven't heard people in Congress really talking about smart speakers yet. It will change. It's changing now. It's changing with this article. But until this point, starting from 2016, the, the exponential hockey stick-esque rise of Alexa and Google Assistant, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear these politicians talking about that. They just pretty much ignored it. And so it, it was able to sort of just grow unimpeded. With um, you know people throwing in Trump's name and politics getting involved, it's going to be a different sort of animal. And I think that's an interesting thing to watch as well. Um, that's my reaction. My My reaction is more on the political side. It's people are going to you know uh, smart speakers and voice assistants will start to become the uh topical domain of politicians um you know they'll try to plant the flag in different ways on these things and it will um have great potential to impede progress um is is my my take um the, the way i think about this just to interject quickly is um
2: you know i i think it's not that smart speakers have gone unnoticed. It's that they're part of a larger ecosystem of, you know, what the politicians call big tech, right? You know, uh, the fan companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook, all these, um, I think there's a much larger focus, especially in the you know recent months, on how do we regulate big tech, and smart speakers are seen as sort of a subset of that, right These are you know the the arms and tentacles of Amazon and big tech in your home and so when the politicians are you know generally speaking about these topics it's let's not worry about the devices they sell let's worry about the big companies themselves and so I think you know if uh, in some fictional world Alexa was its you know you took the ten thousand person Alexa team and that was its own company, I actually think it would have sparked. Um, political debate and sort of um, a different course of action much much sooner but because it's under this larger umbrella of big tech uh, it's you know largely gone unnoticed at least um,
0: at least you know when we talk about just smart uh, smart speakers directly. No I think that's a great point and um, you know my my hope is that um, you know all the future conversations on big tech to the extent they involve smart speakers and voice assistants or not at I don't want to get in a conversation about Trump. I don't want to get in a conversation about any politician. I'd rather just focus on talking about the technology and um, we'll see how much we get to do that or not. But, um, you know, because un- underlying all of this, you know, when we have these mass shootings, we've, we've had enough of them. We know how they work. These people, they, 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 they flash, they, they, they show their hand ahead of time. And, you know, nobody goes from, zero to wanting to shoot other people who they don't know and have never known, you know, without showing signs. And if we can use data coming out of smart speakers and voice assistants to do that, hey, I think there's a conversation there, but let's just, let's not, let's try not to wrap it up in a bunch of, you know, I don't, I don't want to be having to defend a position on that while also having to defend a political position. No, thanks. You know so i it's it's an interesting article to see, especially from you know uh, where I sit following all this stuff. Um, it is the first time um, that a major um, uh, media outlet has used the words "Amazon Alexa," "Google Assistant," "Donald Trump," all in the same headline, so we'll we'll see where that where that takes us. Uh, but I think that it sounds like we're all in alignment uh, with that that there could be good things coming out of that, even if it's later rather than sooner. Story number two from payments.com, and I want to go to this article as well to get this headline right, how Amazon hopes to make Alexa king of the road. This is interesting as well, um, as we've seen sort of the car become a focal point for voice usage. And Brayden, I'm going to start with you. Um, this article you know, dives into Amazon's positioning as it relates to the car, what what stands out do you, do you think amazon's well positioned to to compete effectively in that market even though they're sort of a day late um, or not what are, what are your thoughts
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think amazon's well positioned to compete really in any market um, uh, you know and certainly on the road is is no um, no 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 digression to that so the way we think about uh, sort of Alexa and the auto space is it just makes sense from a use case perspective right so um what makes voice as an interface um, what, what makes a great use case for that it's when maybe you don't have a direct line of sight you don't have access to you know your hands and you know, where traditional GUI interfaces may fail um, is where uh, you typically have a great use case so you know we think of like bedtime cooking uh, and in the car especially those are all great great use cases um, for people who have all their facets because there's other use cases for people who don't um, and so with that, I, I think it's a fantastic space but where I see, of course, Alexa having having trouble is um, the car manufacturers are not going to want to build in Alexa um, natively uh, all, all the time, right? They want to be able to have some sort of control over the car's operating system, uh, because if you do hand it over to Alexa and something changes, consumer preferences change, change, you're sort of in a bind, right? And so I wouldn't be surprised if you see more and more cars pushing towards, uh, I think, what you've seen Sonos done, where... Sonos has done recently. I, I think it was Sonos. There might have been Bose, but where they have both assistants, it's like a preference, right? Do you want Google Assistant or do you want Alexa? And then that takes the car manufacturer out of a point where they have to give up control because now it's more like a feature. But the car manufacturer is, is still able to give consumer preference, um, and so I think that's where we're likely going to see a lot of the the audio uh, sort of auto industry go. It, it depends on the corporate side, right? Because there's, there's what's best for the consumer, and then there's also. Um, sort of the whole entanglement of partnerships and all that kind of stuff. And that's a different world, but um, that's where I would hope it goes at least.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting point. I think it was Sonos, by the way, it certainly they were the first one to do that and there might've been others. Audrey, what are your thoughts um, on Amazon in the car? You think, uh, it's going to work out for them? You think it's it's too late? What, what are your thoughts when you see what Amazon's doing in the car?
1: Oh, I agree 100% with everything that Braden said is exactly what I was going to say, is that I think, again, Amazon can get in any game at any time that they want to, in my opinion. I think that Braden pointed out to really good use cases. And we were discussing that here this morning. I was talking with my team and we were talking about that and saying, you know, if it came as an option, it came as an, you know, the way you have these other options, that's going to get the onus off the car manufacturers. Now, to a certain degree, having certain things built into the car would obviously be ideal, but it's not going, it's going to kind of pigeonhole the manufacturers unless it's something that's so outstanding that it's worth them going out there and building it in. I see it more coming on as an option. I think they will get into it. I think it has a lot of good value. uh, And I think that we'll see it. And what's interesting, especially with like what my company does, and you know this, Bradley, we work on things years before they come out. So we kind of have an inside path. I mean, we've done everything from the Xbox 360 to, you know, an entire cruise line to a lot lot of high profile stuff. And often we are doing technologies that haven't hit market yet. And there's some crazy stuff coming up, really interesting stuff. But how much stuff more can you do in your car before, you know, it starts to become a distraction? I was in a car recently and I felt like I was in uh, you know, I do live in New York City, so I don't own a car. So I have to depend on, you know, when I go suburban. And uh, I, it was like it, it had a hologram in the driver's seat to, you know, for the driver to have a different kind of view. And it had everything that you could possibly imagine. So when it brings benefit, it's going to be an option, in my opinion.
0: No, that's that's good. And uh so my wife and I have a a, a 7 to be 8-year-old son and he's constantly upset that we own a car. He's all about the environment and um you know he's like daddy why do you own a car? I'm like cuz I have to. <laughs> but he would rather no one own a car and and there's people who are like that and and uh maybe that's the world we get to but you know as long as we we own cars it, it is interesting to think about the role that voice will play in the car and I think that it was op- my eyes were open to this Back in April, when we did the Voice of the Car Summit out in the Bay Area, I really did not realize until that point just how number one the voice use cases in the car are profoundly different than they are in the home. Um, it's it's a different it's a different ball game. It's it's different expectations, different functionality that's needed. It's different. Second of all, the usage is extremely high. It's higher than, than in the home. And, and Brett did a great job reporting on that. Um, you know, Between Siri and Google Assistant um, you know, and on mobile devices, the usage of voice in the car, at least earlier this year, I'm, still, I'm sure it's still the case, uh, was higher than in the home. And that was just really eye-opening for me because um, you're right, there can be a point of distraction with it, but there is a sweet spot where it will save lives. Um, you know, people not looking at things, uh going hands-free, you know, being able to talk talk to a, a screen or a computer rather than and, and and really regaining their attention is what it's about, um, if it's done right, rather than subtracting attention. Um and it you know, it's been interesting for me to learn about that. I want to call attention to the quote that's at the bottom of this this article. I thought it was interesting and it 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 poses a question that I want to ask for both of y'all. Um And I guess I'll start a sentence back as it explains what this is. It says, uh, um, of course, Amazon has its backdoor device entry point in the Echo Auto hardware. The reviews of that device have as yet not been stellar, and access to the product remains by invitation only. I think that's changed. Um, As Amazon continues to debug the system, quote, it won't take long for the Echo Auto's biggest issue to become apparent. It's basically superfluous, one reviewer said. Since you need to have a phone with you for it to work, it basically acts as a middle device. It doesn't do anything you can't do with your phone, and it doesn't really make voice interactions any easier. So I thought that was interesting, and, and my question for y'all uh, is that um, you know, you sort of answered it already, talking about having the ability in, in cars, you know sort of a preference toward being able to choose what voice assistant you want and, and that being sort of a gold standard. And I, I could see that being the case, but Braden, I'm going to start with you. Do you think that to do as well in the car as they, as Amazon would like to, and to not have that erode their overall voice market share, do they need to have a phone?
2: Um, I, I don't necessarily think they need to have a phone. The reason that it's acting as a middleware is it needs some sort of, you know, like uh, connectivity, right? Um, and so what that can either come through a hardware partnership with the car or that could come through, uh, you know, maybe they add connectivity into the Echo Auto. I'm not sure if it, I, I, from my understanding, it doesn't, uh, you need to be able to connect it to the phone. But um, yeah, I, I think it's more of a connectivity issue, uh, uh, connectivity issue. I don't think that they necessarily need, need a phone. They'll just need to figure something out to, to be able to, um, you know, basically have an Alexa. They don't, they don't need to. You know, go the whole phone route, though they were already tried that before with the Fire Phone, and that, that didn't go super super well. Uh, I think this just requires you know deeper integrations with
0: the uh, the car manufacturers. In all honesty, okay, uh, very good, Audrey. Do you agree with that? They don't yes. need to try a phone again. Okay. Well,
1: they already tried the Fire Phone, mm-hmm. and uh, the Fire Phone should have been a really good success for them. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty well made phone. Uh, It just didn't hit with the consumer because of various reasons. Uh, But I think that they will figure out the interface. It doesn't need to be a phone. Um, And I think that they'll work that out, as Braden said, with the manufacturers, I'm sure.
0: Very good. Moving on to story number three. This is the voicebot.ai story of the week, as I've said for the last Two years uh, on this show, if you don't know what voicebot.ai is, stop the podcast, pause it, stop it, I really don't care. Go to voicebot.ai, find out, <laughs> you'll, you'll be doing yourself a favor. Siri can tie and untie Nike's new sneakers. So for people who have listened to the show or watched it on YouTube, they know um, I'm, I'm, I have a dim view of stuff that Apple's been doing really for the last at least three or four years um, for numerous reasons, some of which have to do with voice, some some which don't. Um, But we still like to cover what they do on the show. This is an interesting article, and it talks about how Apple's relationship with Nike has led to this sort of interesting voice-first interaction with Nike shoes using Siri. And, Audrey, I want to start with you. Um, is this just some sort of gimmicky garbage that Apple is doing so that they can tell somebody in a board meeting that they tried to do something with Siri? Or is this a true sea change showing that they're committed to doing things with Siri? They're trying to be innovative. They're trying to, um, meet the consumer where they are wanting to use voice and they're in earnest, um, working toward, uh, progress. Which one do you think it is?
1: Uh, I think it's a little of both personally. I think that they have some, uh, I'm, I'm in the same situation as you. I've been like the biggest Apple supporter forever. And I have had my disappointments over the past few years as well. So I think that it's, an effort to put them ahead of somebody else, they're doing something that's, you know, getting a lot of attention because they're co-branding with Nike. So, I mean, that's when you get two powerhouses together, you're going to get that effect. But I also think I find the technology part of it really interesting. And the fact that it just shows where, you know, voice first is going tying a pair of shoes uh, if we think of the biggest, the biggest story of that is what really, really interested me about the article. But I think, yeah, I, I'd be interesting to see where this goes.
0: Braden, same question for you: Is this a gimmick and just uh, lip service from Apple to voice and uh, saying, "Hey, I don't really care"? Or is this some uh, a hallmark of something bigger going on with the company?
2: Yeah, I think every. Um, you know, every new innovation looks like a gimmick at first. I think if you had said, I'm gonna have this, you know, light up tin can that's gonna talk back with you, uh, you know, back in 2014, 2015, people would have said, Alexa is a gimmick as well. Um, And so I I think, you know, what this really shows is that voice in the IoT space is really, really interesting. Um, Voice as an interface, like all an interface is, is data input speed and data output speed. And that's how you measure every interface, you know, whether it's graphic interface, command line, doesn't matter. where voice interfaces excel is input speed. That's where they like they, that is the best interface for input speed other than like brain like a brain connection, but you know, that's that's 10 or 15 years out from now. I hope at least. Um and so I think what you think about in in the clothing space or in any of these spaces where it's a single command, it's a single output, that is just a fantastic use case for voice. And so I think I the way I looked at the story was less about what the actual use case was in this case just tying up shoes. I think it, I thought for me it was really cool to see sort of a non-traditional tech, you know, a non-tech player like Nike start to think about how can I actually introduce voice interfaces into my, my product lineup? Yeah, in this case, you know, it's going to be shoelaces to start. Maybe the next thing is it's going to be, um, you know, checking where a particular item is in a Nike store uh, through a voice interface. There's all these sorts of ramp up, um, uh, all these sorts of ramp ups. And I think, you know, this got a lot of press, of course, because it's cool. It sort of has that back to the future vibe. But, uh, you know, I think it's just the start of, of uh, introducing more and more voice interfaces into IoT and you know, sort of non-tech, uh, non-tech spaces.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, too, because that's what I was fascinated with on that as well. Um, I think that um, if you think about it, and the, it's a, not the a typical place that you see the, hear the voice interaction. Now, what about a person who can't tie their shoes? Now we have this technology. And that technology can really be a broader benefit. And I think that we're going to see, we are already starting to see many, many different areas where these voice interactions are solving problems, bringing about new experiences. It may sound, oh, yeah, it's tying a Nike sneaker. But when you think, just like Braden said, of the bigger picture, the bigger implication, I think it's pretty fascinating.
0: Well, not just accessibility, but also you think about from a sonic branding standpoint, What's the sonic branding of shoes? You know, if you had asked somebody a decade ago, um, does a microchip need a, need a jingle? And, you know, they would have said, obviously not, but then you come up with bump, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden everybody knows who you're talking about. Um, it's interesting to, to see like with the application of voice, um, and the growing ubiquity of voice, um, that all of a sudden, any inanimate object you want to talk about could need some sort of sonic branding strategy. Because if you're going to create a Siri integration with a Nike set of shoes, surely you're going to think about how you're actually going to execute that and do you need well-produced audio? Yeah, well, sure, of course. So, okay. So are you going to use um, who's going to narrate who's going to narrate it? That's part of the Sonic branding um, what what sort of audio cues are you going to have and you're talking about shoes, you know it's interesting to think about um, how stories like this sort of connect the dots back to the reality that maybe everything needs Sonic branding you know so it, I, I, it's, it, it's interesting I actually to think about. I was going to say, I actually think that's probably the most interesting point of this whole story
2: is uh, I think when you think about the natural progression of where voice interfaces should have gone, uh, it would have been, you know, smart speakers. Of course, that makes sense. Uh, maybe phones next, maybe refrigerators, microwaves, sort of, you know, typical tech appliances. The fact that we've now done such a long shot to go to shoes, that was the la- if you'd asked me a year ago, that is the last thing I would have thought you would have applied a voice interface to. I think it sort of shows the sort of the breadth of, of, um, where voice interfaces can be applied and i think uh yeah it, it certainly shines bright on uh, on the interface's future
1: and if it i could great. just add one more thing to that too and back to the point of sonic branding um it does need to uh, and that's a, that's another we'll get to that probably on the next question the next uh, news um it, people are making sounds or using voices because they They can, and the technology is there, but a lot of them are off from what the actual brand positioning is and what the brand sounds like in their other medium. So it may not sound like they're advertising. It may not sound like the things that they put this real diligent effect to when they're going on to all these new areas of using voice. So I'm hearing disconnects on a lot of these different things because when we do the brands that we work with, we do a complete audit. So we'll audit every place that their brand is heard. And then all of a sudden there's these disconnects and that will disconnect the experience. So if these things don't sound like what people would expect from Nike or, or Apple, or they're not, they're not tied together in some way to the Nike brand or, you know, it's going to detract from the experience. So yes, it is, it is all about sonic branding to me because all of it reinforces the experience, and if the sound is off or the experience is underwhelming, then you know you've lost the connection to the customer.
0: Completely agree. Great points all the way around. Um, we're going to go on to story four, which is a two-parter. For a, E-Trade launches Google Assistant actions, but features are limited. For B. TD Ameritrade adds Google Assistant action. So we've got an event coming up, shameless plug, the Voice of Money takes place October the 29th in New York City. And it's about exactly what it sounds like, the intersection of voice and AI with modern banking and finance. These are two interesting stories um, in isolation, but taking them together even more so. uh, And Braden, I want to start with you. Is there anything to read into this in your mind with the fact that both of these being um, major finance companies, you know, major banking companies um, are using Google Assistant um, or is that just coincidence and, you know, you, you think that banking and finance will, will spread throughout all the, all the different ecosystems or is there, any, is there something else in particular that you took away from these two stories that maybe stands out more than that?
2: Yeah. um, From a platform perspective, I I don't think it gives any indication of, you know, Google's better than Alexa or anything like that. I I really just think it happened. It happened to be coincidence that they were uh, launching on Google. Uh, And this might also have been, um, you know, at these large enterprises, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, especially on the partnership side. So, um, you know, I don't think they necessarily chose on technology. It may just have been based off of prior relationships and partnerships and things like that. Um, I think what's interesting, though, is that it, part of the article, especially on E-Trade was talking about how, you know, it, was, it wasn't as fully featured at uh, fully featured as it should have been. Um, and I think this is sort of a resemblance of, of a larger trend that um, we're seeing, especially since, you know, we, we see a lot of the voice apps built and, and prototypes with us. Um, we're sort of in the first part of a, of a platform shift. And so like I view voice as an interface and then there's, there's the voice platforms, right? Those are the AI assistants. Those are, you know, Alexa, Google assistant, all these sorts of things. Um, at the beginning of every platform shift you'll typically see uh, people from the previous platform try to bring over what worked there so you know when you saw uh, going from web to mobile you had uh, a lot of mobile apps which looked like websites right that's how they functioned you had a lot of companies which are just trying to convert websites to mobile apps um, and then you sort of toil around with that for a couple of years and nothing really feels right it's cool that it's there and it might get a little bit of usage but it's not it's not native to the platform um, and then, what starts to happen is you start to think about okay, what's what's mobile really good for? You might not need a fully featured web-like experience on mobile, but what are the things that mobile could actually augment to make this experience even better? Uh, the fact that it is mobile, you know, what's native to the platform, um, and that came a couple years later, and that's when you start to have some of the mobile apps today, which focus more on. Um tracking is spent, but not you know, you're not going into printing statements and things like that because that's something you do on a desktop, right? That's better for that experience. I think where we are in voice right now in voice as a platform, is you have these uh, experiences which are being ported over from mobile, right? What do you do on mobile? Okay, maybe you check your balance, um, maybe you check your portfolio, these sorts of like, you know, uh, just sort of getting information, right? I think we haven't discovered what all the great use cases are that are native to voice as a platform that's going to enable these experiences to go above and beyond mobile and in, in, in sort of these different areas. Uh, I, I think that's a larger trend that we're seeing across all of voice. Everyone's experimenting. and I think that's good because it's part of the learning process. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely don't think we found, um, what those, you know, native voice platform use cases are that are really going to blow it out of the water. And I think this is just sort of, you know, uh, the fact that we complained about how you know, it wasn't fully featured is just indicative of that.
0: I love that point. I think you're right on the money with that uh, plan fully intended. So, you know, uh, it feels like these companies are searching for that Eureka moment um, in the banking and finance side, specifically in that sector. Now, there's other things going on in other sectors that sort of resemble that. But banking, you know, like Capital One was one of the first companies to have an Alexa skill. Um, these, you know, these banks um, and a lot of these financial institutions showed up at the party early. And, you know, they started experimenting. They started doing some different things. And, and they've taken a little bit of heat from, hey, this, this is trivial, you know, like, yeah, I can check my balance or whatever. But first of all, I'm not going to do that with an Alexa smart speaker anyway Um, second, aren't you more creative than that? And I think that there's a hunt for what that next level interaction will be. Um, and it's interesting to watch. Um, and uh, I agree, I, I feel like these two stories sort of do feel like, all right, we're planting the flag, we're setting the foundation here, the framework for future, you know, uh, growth once we figure out what it'll be. Audrey, I'm going to turn to you, you know, same sort of question. Did you, do you agree with what uh, Braden and I are saying? Or what what did you take away from seeing these two stories? What stands out to you about banking and finances move into voice?
1: Uh, Exactly the same thing as, uh, that's why it's great to go third, right? (laughs) Exactly what both of you said, I agree with. What I find really interesting is where you say banking and finance have taken a real lead For me, because I've done this for 25 years, there were always two industries that I felt were, I'm talking 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that were behind everybody. And that was banking and finance was one of them and pharmaceuticals. There was very little that we were doing in involving banks, pharma, any of them. And and we just couldn't get through. And there was so many opportunities. Whether you put a, a chip on a on, on your uh, card, your debit card, or you you have different things that you could have better voices in your ATMs. All kinds of things we proposed, and they were really lacking. So the fact that they've kind of both those industries are the ones that are really leapfrogging forward uh, is a part that I find super interesting. Uh, and I do think that. There's double edge again, they're putting something out and they're getting heat because it's underwhelming the experience. But nobody's really defined what the experience is, what, it, what it's really looking like. <clears throat> and I said in an interview recently, it's a little like the Wild West right now, in voice, sound, everything. And it'll settle down. It'll all start to settle down because the things that are working are going to come, come to the surface. But until somebody tries them, and somebody starts to sort it, it's not going to move forward.
2: No, I, I, I just want to interject as well here. I think what's particularly interesting is when you look at some of the industry uh, industries that, you know, as Audrey was saying, because they were laggards in previous platform shifts, um, they're now really aggressively. They, they've seen what happens when you uh, sort of come in later with a mobile app or come in later with a website 10 years later you know, after everyone else, right? Some of these banks have taken, you know, huge hits, losing millennials because other banks that may have had better mobile experiences. And so I think a lot of them are uh, sort of looking at their wounds and realizing, okay, you know, this is time for us to get in early on this one. Um, even if it's just exploratory marketing spend, let's make sure that we're at least have a foot in the door. Or we're seeing what's out there. Uh, and, you know, we're going to try to, you know, mine for that use case just to make sure that we don't uh, fall behind.
0: Yeah, complete agreement. All uh, yeah, all the way around. And uh you know, and, and the problem becomes you can't go to the customer and ask what would you like. They're not gonna be able to tell you. They they just know what they're used to doing in a web environment or a mobile environment. You know, they're used to checking their balance, they're used to maybe looking up one or two other things and uh, and that's it. And and so it's incumbent upon these companies, um, and they're you know the companies are going to have to lead the lead the way. Um, no one's going to come up with that eureka moment for them. Um, no, this is great commentary, and I appreciate that. Um, last story: Steve Harvey calls out Amazon's Alexa and Apple's Siri. So. Uh, <laughs> I I always like to include a story like this, something that um, either comes out of pop culture and is either funny or just bizarre or whatever. Um, And this is interesting. I I, I definitely uh, drew a few conclusions from this, but Audrey, I'm going to start with you. Um, What do you take away from an article like this? Is it that, you know, voice is so ubiquitous and well-known at this point that Here's Steve Harvey commenting on it, or was there something else uh, that maybe stood out to you more than something else within the piece?
1: Sure. Uh, there's the entertainment level, which is Steve Harvey, you know, like calling out Alexa, and Alexa's part of, you know, everyday life. And so there's that part, but there is also the part that I do a tremendous amount of voice branding. And he's making a really valid point on conversational and different nuances in different cultures and different accents in different regions. We go through this all the time. It is really a, a, a true thing because I know if I Google Google myself, it comes up I, olive bean. If I say orgiore it it comes up. It, it never gets me. You know, it doesn't pick up my New York accent for some reason uh, when I say certain things. So there's kernels of truth in what he's saying there with no doubt. And it's going to be something that, um, that will have to be uh, delved deeper. And people are coming out with the technologies to kind of address some of this now. And I know that many years ago, we, we handled our voice talents differently than we do now. Now we only get local voice talent. We get three proofers because we find little nuances in slang or dialect. We've had one project where the third proofer picked up on something that was actually a slang word in that country that is not something you'd want anywhere near your product. So it's, it's, there's a lot of truth in, in what he's saying as, about the recognition, and there's a lot of work going on in that area. That's gonna jump, I believe, really, really quickly, really soon. And I'm curious what
2: Braden feels about that.
0: Braden, fire yeah. away. Your thoughts. Yeah,
2: I think um, so. This is um, the reason this problem is happening is because Voice is an interface is the first time where. The human computer interface is we're trying to teach the computer how to talk to humans because we've always had it the other way around with graphic interfaces, command line interfaces. We've always been trying to teach humans how to talk to computers. Now we're really struggling to you know get computers to learn how to talk to humans. Um, and so I think because you know humans have such a wide. Seven billion of us uh, split across hundreds of countries, you know, thousands of dialects um, it's just a really tough tough problem right when you talk you know, talk about computers there's really only one binary right there's really only one way to talk to a computer and you can um, figure out all these different interfaces, but for the most part it's teaching humans that's so that was much easier um, so I, I get where the platforms are coming from i, I don't think I, I certainly think they're just trying as hard as they can this is an incredibly tough problem um, and especially since you know, voice technology has been around since the 80s. Um, but only really in the past couple of years have we had sort of the neural nets and the NLP and the NLU to really sort of start to accelerate voice as a mainstream interface. Uh, and I think the hype uh, has certainly uh, surpassed where the technology actually is today. And so I think that's sort of the, the delta of disillusionment, right? That's the delta of disappointment. Um, and I think that's perfectly fine. I think it'll it'll level out. And, um, you know, hopefully in a couple of years is more of these people from other uh, regions, um, sort of talk with these devices more and, you know, uh, as, as those sound recordings are transcripted by the contractors, uh, the NLP and NLU will get much, much better. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's an interesting problem space and I think the platforms will solve it, but uh, just going to take a little bit of time.
0: It's interesting to, um, to consider, you know, is everybody going to come along and say, you know, looking at his tweet. So this article shows his tweet and he says, uh, this is Steve Harvey. Do I own an iPhone or an Android? I don't even know what an Android is. And then crying, <laughs> laughing face. <laughs> Apple's Siri, and Amazon's Alexa got problems with me too. They don't understand the way I speak. I think I might need a Shaniqua. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to think about from the standpoint of is every single person who comes along Going to start thinking about the inadequacies of the necessarily global approach that Apple and Amazon and Google use. Um, They're they're global companies. Uh, They don't want to they don't want to do this a bunch of times. So they've created a global answer. When we are tribal people, you know. I mean, people have tribes. They don't. they, They don't. You know. There's ways we can be global, and then there's ways that we're tribal, and it's just the way that humanity works. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see how that reconciles with voice, um, because Steve Harvey's now officially lodged uh, a complaint. And what's, what's the answer? Is the answer, ignore it? That's what they're going to do. But is that the, what the answer ought to be? Or is the answer having some more AI-driven, contextual-oriented um, approach in which um, it the computer knows you better than you know itself. The, the computer knows you better than you know yourself. And it gives you naturally the voice that's best for you based on 100 gazillion algorithms that somebody cooked up in a lab. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. That's above my pay grade, but I found the story very interesting. I mean, if you put
2: yourself in the shoes of Amazon and Google for a second, let's say you're the head of Alexa or the head of Google Assistant, um, there's two ways you could approach this problem, right? Because they would have known this is a problem right from the start. Uh, First solution is it's good enough for 50% of the population to use 80% of the time. Let's launch it and then use it as a springboard to get more data to train our algorithms at at an accelerated pace. Option two is we don't release the technology for another five, six, seven years uh, and potentially have, you know, our competitors launch first and they start to amass the data and all that kind of stuff, right? And so I think they sort of had to bite the bullet and say, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, it's going to be a start. It's going to work for 50% of the people, 80% of the time. But that's better than us not having smart speakers or voice assistants or technology at all. Uh, and so now, you know, they're running as quickly as they can uh you know definitely a bit ahead of their skis with the global expansion but you know it's, it's a bit of an arms race between the voice assistants to get to mass first so that you can get more data to better train your algorithms and, and sort of run away with it right um, and so i think that's the way they all view it and that's sort of the sacrifice they had to make was um you know everyone who isn't sort of the in, in the uh, the perfect average uh, is going to be uh, a little disappointed at first but hopefully over time it'll catch up
1: I also think yep. over time, there's, really there's plenty of room for like uh, machine learning and where you might have niche markets and you can get, you know, the local version of, you do certain sample recording of your particular voice and it's completely customized then to you and the way you, your cadence is and, you know, there's so much technology coming out, tremendous technology in the, in the voice technology space. So I think it's going to be something like that. Um, And we have it. For the most part, it's really helped a lot. And it's just going to get better.
0: That's a good place to leave the show. Um, Braden, Audrey, thank you both very, very much for being my guests on This Week in Voice. Thank you for sharing your time as well as your expertise with me and the audience. It's greatly appreciated.
1: Thank you, Bradley.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Braden.
0: For this yeah, week in nice voice. <laughs> for this week in voice, season four, episode two. Thank you for listening. Watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.